What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mavs Film Room Podcast. In-person edition, we are all here like the four living presidents recording in the same room. It is Thursday. <laughs> I didn't even know there were four presidents alive. I was thinking five. four horsemen of the apocalypse, but not quite the vibe. <laughs> it's Bush, Clinton, Carter, Trump... In Biden, oh maybe and there's five. So pretty much the four horses. The, the four former, the four former presidents. I kind of freestyled that one. But in any case, we are here together, recording this on Thursday, December 29th, ninth, two thousand and twenty-two, at ten thirty p.m. Central Time. Uh, we are just about thirty minutes past the Mavericks getting their fifth straight victory on the season. They won 129 to 114 against the Houston Rockets at home uh, here in Dallas. Of course, a lot has happened since we last recorded our podcast last Sunday. And while getting the fifth straight win was great, the bigger story this week was on Wednesday night, Luka Doncic posted a monster stat line of 60 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists. As the Mavericks stole victory from the jaws of defeat against the Jalen Brunson-less New York Knicks, uh, the Mavericks trailed by nine points with, I think, 26 seconds left in that game, and it looked like the game was over. But somehow, some way, Luka Doncic willed the, the Mavs back to victory with help from Christian Wood and Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, helped the Mavericks force overtime in that game with a perfectly executed missed free throw off an N1 in which the ball came to him and he hit the game-tying shot with one second left in the same motion as he was getting the rebound. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the clips at this point. It's, really, it's, it's probably better for you to look at it than for me to describe, but um, probably the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. With that comeback, and of course, Luca becomes... The first player in NBA history to post a 60.20 rebound game. Just ridiculous. There, I, It's been 48 hours since then, and I still cannot believe that that happened. Um, you know, I, there's no words to describe what Luka can do. And even in my most optimistic projections for him, because, you know, I, I figured that, you know, he's a great scorer. He'll probably have a 50-point game this season. But 60 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists is just... He's not human, confirmed. And so we'll talk about that. Um, as And we'll talk about, you know, the strong stretch that Christian Wood is having as well because I think he deserves a lot of credit for the Mavericks' uh, recent, you know, recent turnaround. And, you know, it's against lesser competition, but at this time of the season, there's no such thing as a bad win. And the Mavericks are finally members of the 20-win club. They improved to 20 and 16 on the season. They move into fifth place in the Western Conference they're just half a game out of fourth place, uh, one game, I believe, out of third place, and just three games out of first place in the West. So uh, after a bit of a rough start to the season, things are looking up. And January is going to be tougher, definitely, but that's why you got to get these wins uh, right now. And so we'll talk about that too. But first, got to introduce the co-hosts for this episode, Rohan Fazel, and officially welcome to the Mass Film Room team. We got Vinay Chimiti with us. How's it going, guys? Good. Good to be with you all. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess let's let's start with Luca because I mean we have to talk about it. What's the reaction to seeing him? 
you know, just post one of the five greatest stat lines in NBA history? Well, the reaction, I was just, I was in shock first off, but also for the rest of the night, I just couldn't stop refreshing, you know, Twitter, Reddit, what have you, because I needed to see everybody talk about him because like, that was insane. <laughs> yeah, and check that reaction right into my veins. I, I get that feeling too. I think it was awesome for for the first time since probably the game seven against the Suns where the Mavericks and Luka was like the main topic of Twitter conversation. Like everyone in the NBA was talking about it. Um, and that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, de- it definitely was. Um, because, I mean, you know, we've seen Luka get his fair share of attention, but I think until that game, uh, it never, it might have not truly registered in the broader NBA community just how purely dominant Luka is. And a line like that is undeniably great. Like, you know, people will knock it as him being a, a usage god or, or, you know, an empty stats player. I think all of that is bullshit. That kind of stat line, and you've seen it from the reactions from people in the league, players, his peers... It's undeniable dominance, undeniable greatness. And I think if anyone was on the fence about what Luca is as a player, there's no doubt about what he's capable of now. And, and, and hopefully this, you know, raises some eyebrows in the player community and, you know, pays dividends down the line. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was nice to see everyone talk about the Mavericks as the center of attention for one night in the league. I mean, one night. I mean, Luca's been on the front page of every single NBA marketing like tweet, post, anything over the last 48 hours. I mean, it's been a blitzkrieg for that. Um, going off of what you said, Jay, I mean, this is like an inimitable performance. I don't think we'll see Luca ever give us this again, purely because, I mean, one, the sheer number of rebounds here is yeah. really not something that happens a lot in the league but the only comparable performance in NBA history was James Harden against the Magic in 2018. And Luka shot it more efficient from the floor. Um, in general, had less turnovers in a little more minutes. I mean, the league has changed a lot, but this was profoundly more impressive than even James Harden's most blistering performances as a Houston Rocket in that run. Um, there really is nothing to compare it to. I, and I think this was really a moment that shook me a little bit. I don't know about y'all, because I've gotten used to Luca just doing crazy things. Yeah. And this made me feel like, whoa, we're in a simulation, but it's a beautiful goddamn simulation that we live in. He's a machine. Like, that's what, that's what came to me. It's like, yeah, like you said, we've been desensitized to Luca's greatness. I mean, even tonight, he had like 35 points and you know 12 rebounds 13 assists something like that um a trip a 35 point triple double and it barely even registered as something great but that's just what we've come to expect from luca now i think he's averaging 34 9 and 9 with like 63 percent true shooting it's <laughs> ridiculous uh it, it's just every statistical barrier he breaks just feels like it was concocted in a lab like uh this this isn't important this is just a number that some some random person made up and said it's important but uh no it really isn't the eye test proves it yeah Yeah, the thing that really gets me is that apparently this is something that at least officially not even wilt chamberlain has ever done before 
And of course, you know, if you know anything about basketball, you name a random record out there. <laughs> Wilt owns it. So Luca put up this stat line that not even Wilt has ever put up before. Again, at least offici- not officially. It's just, it, it blows the mind. <laughs> I think going along with Fossil's point about how Luca recorded a stat line that no one else in NBA history literally ever has, it's like, when you compare Luca to other players that have played before, you almost can't because he's just one of one in how he does it. He yeah. kind of plays like LeBron. He kind of plays like Dirk with the mid-range jump shots, but he kind of just has like these different elements from all different players' games. You can't really compare him to just one player. He is Luca. Yeah, I mean, you even look at the his 60 points yesterday. I mean, the craziest part about it, he only shot six threes and only made two. Like, literally two of his made field goals were three-pointers. 22 free throw attempts, 16 made, and everything else came from the two-point line. Or not the two-point line, but came on twos. So it's like, that's where he defers from James Harden. I mean, I think James Harden's 60-point games came mostly from the three-point line and the free throw line. Well, the one that I was specifically talking about off the top of my head, he shot, I want to say, four of 15? Like, he shot a third, but he shot 15 threes in that game to get to 60 points. Like, his scoring distribution is... Very different. And for Luca to have that true shooting percentage to be that efficient, when I mean, you saw the degree of difficulty on that free throw putback. Yeah. Like, ridiculous. what is that? Ridiculous. And six threes is like a normal, you know, shooting game for him. Or six three-point attempts is like his normal amount. So it's not like he was going out of his way to chuck threes. Um, it was just pure physical dominance, I think, is how he got to 60 points yesterday. Right, the thing that separates Luca from a lot of volume scorers, and especially from Harden, like you said, the mid-range game, but he, ever since, I want to say, the 2021 season, he's he's been a pretty elite mid-range scorer, but this season, it's, I mean, again, it's up to another level. Like, he's on, I think you can say he's on the level of, you know, KD or um, DeMar DeRozan, he's a, he's a good mid-range shooter, or... You know, even, like, freaking Dirk or Michael Jordan, like, of course, you know, he doesn't have the kind of longevity and proven results and track record as those guys, but he, um, at least he has the percentages so far in this young part of his career. Yeah, I mean, it's... Luca is on the level of some of the greatest scorers in the game right now, and maybe it's an exaggeration to say he's a top-ten scorer of all time, but... I think very soon it's going to be hard to deny that because, you know, we've been saying this for the last few years, like when he achieves the efficiency from the free throw line and from the three point line, like his scoring average could be 40 points per game because it's just that easy for him to score the ball. And we've seen it in full form this year. He's averaging a career high. I mean, going to that game, I think he was at 32 points per game. He's probably close to 34 now, like you said. So the game is just easy to him, and there is not another player in the league, I think, that's that's scoring as effortlessly as Luka is. And, of course, this was the first 60-point game in Mavs history. Uh, he broke um, Dirk's single-game scoring record, which was 53 before. Um, and, yeah, Luka's s- slowly but surely, you know, establishing himself in NBA history and in Mavericks history and at this rate, it'll only be a matter of time, I think, before he passes Dirk um, in other accolades en route to becoming the, the leading scorer in franchise history. Yeah, I mean, Fazel also brought up that great point about, about 
how you can't really compare uh, his success so far early in his career to Dirk because of longevity. But I mean, if, if you do just want to kind of look at the difference there, Luca's getting his points. Like the degree of difficulty is very similar to Dirk at maybe his prime as a scorer. But if you look at the way he like picks matchups in a game, it's like Chris Paul or LeBron James. Like he has a move against every guy like Dirk does, but he, he can pick a matchup like a playmaker. And that's what separates him from any of these other guys that are volume scorers in NBA history. And I, I don't even know how we can like predict what he'll do with it because he's so elite at both. I got a rant, but I don't know if any of you guys have any thoughts before this. Go, go on your rant first, and we go can ahead, play yeah. off your rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my, my rant is kind of about the discourse that's kind of been an offshoot of this performance. I mean, overall, it's been an overwhelmingly positive um, response, as it should be. I mean, this the, you should appreciate greatness. But there's there's been a little segment of uh, NBA Twitter that's kind of complained about how Westbrook and Harden's uh, statistical achievements were received at the time versus how Luca's is. And I just think that that's not necessarily a problem of who Luca is, but it's more of a problem about the way that the sport is covered. If we go back to those, you know, those times like the, the late 2010s where, uh, you know, Harden was dropping 50-point triple-doubles, he had a 60-point triple-double, uh, Russell Westbrook broke Oscar Robertson's Oscar Robertson's single season triple double record. Uh, he averaged a triple double for three straight years. That's literally humanly impossible, and he did it not one season but three straight seasons. And I just think that the discourse around those achievements um, was wrong because people were so quick to, you know, dismiss it as empty stats or stat padding. And it's like, sure, but we don't have many mechanisms outside of counting stats to truly quantify individual greatness in the NBA. I mean, yes, winning is the ultimate statistic. I get it. We all want to win rings. We all want to win everything. But when you look at the story of a player's career, how else can you tell it than how they contributed to the game? And the, the statistical brilliance is absolutely a story. So I think that Unfortunately, at that time, there was a movement that um, pr- that was thirsting so badly for efficiency that it often, you know, dismissed volume as inefficient. But it's like when a player is producing at volume with pretty good efficiency, it's like I don't really know how else you can how you can deny greatness. It's like, you know, I, I like to think of it as like Trayvon Diggs, for example, on the Cowboys. And Vinay, you, you can relate to this too. It's like last season he had, what, 11 interceptions, right? And everyone kind of, you know, his detractors dismiss it as, oh, like it's, uh, you know, they're just doing that because they're throwing the ball to him and, he, and you know, he's able to catch it and turnovers are heavily luck-based, which all of that is true. But it's like the fact of the matter is, they're throwing to Trayvon Diggs. He's catching an interception, which flips the possession, which gives the Cowboys just an extra possession. And that's something that um, that matters in the game. And it's the same thing in the NBA. It's like, yeah, okay, Luka has the ball in his hands a lot of the time, but it's like he very well could be shooting 40% from the field, but he's not. Like, he is absolutely efficient. So it's like, okay, 
you know, would you rather shoot 70% on 10 shot attempts or 65% on 30 shot attempts, right? I think I take that slight decline in efficiency for the massive increase in volume. And so that's just my rant. It's like, why in the NBA are we so quick to detract from statistical greatness? Like, I think it's just a, it's, it's a more refined version of hating at the end of the day. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Uh, one, one slight pushback that I would have with you on the Harden Westbrook conversation would be that Westbrook, especially after KD left, he put up those three years of triple doubles, right? And kind of, you know, the discourse around it was how far can Westbrook as your main guy be on a winning team? And those Thunder teams didn't necessarily go far. If I recall, they didn't go past the second round any of those three years. Same thing with James Harden. He didn't necessarily make it to the NBA Finals fair or not. And if Luka gets to the age of 30 and let's say he accomplishes as much as those guys did playoffs-wise, I think us four could sit here and agree, fair or not, that that would be kind of a failure on Luka's part. That's true. I mean, I think that that's probably going to be Luka's fate this year is, you know... Maybe win a playoff series. I'm not... And he's sure. already getting the pressure now and he's yeah. only 23. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think part yeah, of the reaction is, is fatigue, right? Like, you see a player do something, you expect more out of them. And when they don't, it's disappointing. I, I do I do want to a little bit uh, delineate a difference between Harden and Westbrook and Luka in this instance. Harden and Westbrook... I mean, Harden less so than Westbrook. But Westbrook has, even when he came into the league had very definite flaws and weaknesses as a player that make almost his first season averaging a triple-double more remarkable, I think, in in the landscape of NBA history. And I, I don't want to get too far into it, but that was more remarkable than the, third, than the third season. And I think it's easy in hindsight to take the lack of impressiveness of those triple-doubles in the third season and attribute it to the first one. On the Harden front, his playoff success really uh, was was hemorrhaged on the fact that he wasn't able to, you know, take control of the ball and the late game execution and very key series wasn't wasn't great. Some of it is timing, but I think Luca has one of these rare. I don't even know. It really feels like he was made in a lab to play yeah. basketball sometimes. <laughs> Does it already feel like he already has more signature playoff moments than both those guys? Yeah. He's, he's like, of, yeah. he understands like the the weird meta game way better than than I think Westbrook ever I, did. Yeah. And he also can shoot he, better than Westbrook. You know what? I think Luca has got the this you know this the skill of Harden combined with just the the motor of Westbrook. Mm-hmm. I think Westbrook's I downfall that. was his efficiency, which, yeah, I mean, if you could detract from Westbrook's statistical uh, brilliance, it was his efficiency, which was always a problem. Harden was a much more efficient scorer, but like you said, doesn't quite have the same drive as someone like Luca or Westbrook does. And that was often his problem um, in the playoffs. It's also different physical profiles and, and different uh, capabilities. Westbrook has never been a guy who can be a really efficient shooter for you. That's not what he was billed as into the league. Luca, maybe not efficiency, but with his height, with his play style, and comparing him to Harden a little more, he's shooting over the top of defenses. He's shifting around a little bit more. So he's going to get to those threes a little bit easier. I think we're getting a little too in the weeds on the comparison, but yeah. I do agree with Jay on the larger point um, in regards to the discourse. 
I think it's very easy to look at today and then just go back in hindsight and say, hmm, why weren't these things treated the same? And really, Luca is only able to do this because Russell Westbrook and James Harden had three or four spectacular seasons in the last decade that changed the landscape of the league. Um, and it doesn't take away from anyone. I'm very annoyed at, at basketball fandoms for, for doing that, for making it a zero-sum game. It is not a zero-sum game. At all. Right. And, I mean, the thing that bothers me about the whole Luca Westbrook Harden discourse is that, you know, all these Westbrook Harden fans are they're saying shit like, oh, you know, Luca doesn't get hated on quite like these guys did. Okay, but those guys also got plenty of love. They were both fucking MVPs. I know. So. <laughs> People were saying Harden was better than Kobe. Yeah, that year, that. like when he when he was doing like the 60, 61 point, 12 assist or whatever the game was in 2018, that, that season people were, were saying that. Yeah, him. I mean, he literally won MVP. I don't know how much more love you can you can get for that, but he should have won finals MVP. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to make the finals for that. <laughs> and also it's like, I, I mean, again, on the point of efficiency, is Luca putting up a 50-40-90 season anytime soon? Probably not, but you guys, I mean, a lot of people are out here acting like he's fucking Jerry Stackhouse for the 2002 <laughs> Pistons, yeah. shooting like 40% and averaging 30 for like a 20-win team. Like, that's not the fucking case here. Yeah, that's the difference. I mean, Luca's literally shooting like 35% from three, which is more than respectable, and has like a, you know, 60% or at least more than 50% field goal percentage. I mean, you can't really ask for anything better than that. I know that there's criticisms of this statistic, but game score? I, I think I saw it in a Jimmy Highroller video today that that's the second highest game score of any player in NBA history. Like, we're not, this is not like a... This is not normal. It's, We've this seen is not it like before, an everyday though. thing. This is normal. <laughs> <laughs> and for Luca, it, it, it might be somewhat normal, but... Um, it's not normal for, for superstars in the NBA. This is no, like a special pedigree of talent we're seeing from a 20... I want to reiterate what Vinay said. He's 23 years old, and we're talking about whether he's going to win a championship right now. Yeah. That didn't happen for Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah, not at all. I mean, this is this type of performance is on the level of Kobe scoring 81. For real? Like, it's something that we will probably never see again. What's crazy is Luka needed all 60 of these points to... to take the Knicks without Jalen Brunson into overtime and beat them. Yeah, well, Kobe's 81. Point. I mean, I guess that team needed it. But it wasn't that wasn't like a close game either. Like you can make the case that Lucas sixty was well, more necessary. Not even make the win. case. I, in the last two decades, I don't know what the number of teams that have tried to come back from that deficit in that amount of time, but no team has come back yeah. from a nine point well, deficit. It's not like Luca was padding his stats. They literally needed him to do that. <laughs> if he didn't do that, they lose the yeah, game. I know. So that's another problem with, the, you know, or my problem with the whole, like, usage God argument. It's like, what else do you want him to do? It's just, <laughs> like, the, there's always going to be haters with Luka until yeah. he wins the title. That's just how it is in sports, unfortunately. And even when he wins Especially the title. Especially when you're a player yeah. of that caliber. You just, it doesn't matter until you win a ring. It's easy to hate. That's what well, it is. We, we I, I think all four of us can agree that Luka, maybe from his second year on in the NBA, if he built the right team around him, he was capable of winning a championship. From, yeah. 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 That's true. So it's really more on the front office to almost defend Luca from the detractors by building a competent enough team Every to day. where the winning is. We've been saying that for three years now. 
but it's still <laughs> as true as ever. Well, it's easy. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Vinay. It's easy from for the outside looking in on, on these games where Luca just goes supernova and everyone's reacting to it off of the highlights. It's very easy for them to be like, "Oh, he's playing this way. Why is he playing this way? Yeah, he's but... playing this way because there's no other way to win for this team, bro." Like Josh Green is like, there's just so many injuries, so many, so many things in the middle of the Mavericks season. fandom has been dying for ball handling for multiple years, and we will not get it in multiple yeah. versions. Like we should. I'm just I'm just happy to get what we've gotten <laughs> at this point. I'm I am happy. too. Yeah. I, I listen, after that game, I told myself I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore the fact that they needed Luca to literally have like a you know, have like one of the five greatest games in NBA history to beat a team without its best player. Um well, because two, two best two players. Best players. Yeah. RJ Barrett left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, like you sometimes just gotta sit back and and enjoy greatness and just be thankful you're able to watch it happen on your. No, favorite for sure. Team. Yeah, that was just more my. You're gonna get Luca haters until he wins. Yeah, no, no I, I definitely do too, especially in the larger spirit of the pressure that he's under. Um, I mean, Jay, building off of what you were saying and also bridging to the game tonight, um, the last game versus the Rockets, Luca had to score something like fifty something. Yeah, right? or like exactly. in the high forties with the with the triple 50. double. Yeah, and right? have the have the in, in order for them to win that game. Yeah, which it should not have taken that. And I said that exact thing that it should not have taken this performance to win this game against this team. The Knicks, different beast, and and that in that game in general with how many people were out, like the the Rockets game, guys on our side got injured, right? Yeah. So like, there's there's a whole shift that happens there. But against the Knicks, yeah. Yeah. Now, we talk a lot about the, you know, the talent around Luka and perhaps how it can be better. But we do got to give props to one of the guys playing next to him that's finally been playing a lot more with Luka recently, and that's Christian Wood, uh, who's been starting the last handful of games. Uh, just in the last eight games, the Mavericks are 6-2, and two, uh, where Christian Wood has averaged 32.6 minutes per game. 20.4 points per game, 9.1 rebounds per game, 2.6 blocks per game. He had five blocks tonight, actually. Um, also 1.8 assists per game, a steal per game, 52.3% field goal percentage, uh, 68% on twos, 36% on threes, and 79% from the free throw line. Don't ask me how I know all those numbers off the top that's of my head. Nice work from the re- that's some nice work from the research department. <laughs> yeah, mass film room working overtime. <laughs> yes, sir. The analysis. Pe- people do our work for us without even knowing. Oh, I'll put boy. it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's also it's also notable that this is Christian Wood's eighth straight game with two or more blocks. Uh, I don't know where that sits in NBA history. It's kind of just an anomaly statistic that, that you look at because it's kind of mildly interesting. It uh, doesn't really tell you much about the performance there, but he has been very good on defense in general. And I know tonight he was in foul trouble, but uh, he was still able to to put forth an effort, especially in the first half, despite getting a lot of those calls. And obviously, like, the key to him being an impactful player on winning teams is, you know, how does he impact the defensive end of the floor, especially as the five? Because, you know, in the playoffs, the five man is the player that they go at defensively, and he's going to be asked to defend guards in situations or show on a, show high on a screen or whatnot. Teams are going to be picking on him specifically. So 
And Jason Kidd's not going to play not play Christian Wood because of his offense. It's going to be because of his defense. And yeah. that's his way to earn more trust with this coaching staff particularly. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. Uh, I think throughout the season, I've been I've been critical of the decision not to start him, obviously. But I also have been very critical of Seawood. I think to start the season, he was not at all in the mindset to be a good screener or rebounder. And in general, just needed a lot of help getting involved in a winning team philosophy. And he's very clearly done that. I think, Jay, we've talked about that ad nauseum in maybe our last month's worth of podcasts. Um, at this point, this tonight's game was actually an indicator to me that even with early foul trouble, he was able to keep his activity up. Yeah. Like, he's not contesting near the end of the game. Obviously, it's not a super close game. But he's still staying with his defender. He's still screening well. It's the little things, really, with Seawood that you gotta you got to see him putting that same effort in at those. And then him scoring threes just comes with it. He's really a feel guy. So you got to play into that. And you got to get him involved in the entire team situation. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad to see that. Even though the, obviously it's not a blowout statistical night like Luca gives us. Yeah, and it's it's not the greatest, you know, competition either. The Mavericks have been fortunate to play some softer competition, but again, it's good to see him playing well um, because the Mavericks are kind of, kind of you know being forced to play more offensively minded now, and I think. That's helped him out too. Like he's finally starting. They're playing a game that he's comfortable with. Uh, they're playing a game that's suitable for his strengths. And I think as a result, you see more buy-in from him on the offensive end. You see him more willing to set screens, roll to the basket, do do whatever it takes to be a second option to Luca on the floor. And you know, I think finally we're seeing the best version of Christian Wood. Agreed. Yeah, I'm almost saying this is the best stretch of his career, and. Um... The person who's playing right now would be a big help for Luca at any point in time. So um, I'm definitely down for, to give him an extension if he keeps on playing like this. Is that going to come out of your credit fossil? <laughs> I feel like Mark Cuban probably has enough money. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Not his accountant, but healthy, healthy bet. I agree. <laughs> yeah, and we did we did see some reports this week from Tim McMahon of ESPN who said that um, the Mavericks are interested or are open to an extension with Christian Wood, but not at four years. They're more realistically interested in a two-year extension. So whether or not Christian Wood is favorable to those terms remains to be seen. Um but I think, as we've said many times now, the Mavericks can't afford to lose him for nothing um, because he is a talented player, no doubt, and he's one of the few guys who can actually get his own shot on this team. So that holds a lot of value, and they need to they need to tread carefully over the next couple of months, whatever they do. I don't want the Mavericks to lose him, but out of curiosity, what what is his value around the league not necessarily what his contract value should be but like you saw what he went for before the draft started he didn't go for a lot he went for sterling brown yeah boban obviously the real value well, of the trade was reasons, the first round pick that. that was honestly a glorified salary dump on the trade so yeah exactly so my point being is what do other teams see in christian wood it it depends i i agree that i think the, the rockets you know as tim mcmahon said um on that podcast episode 
the Rockets were trying to trade him all of last season. And the reason that they settled for this deal was because this ended up being one of the better offers that they got for him. So it kind of speaks to his reputation across the league. Now, if he is able to sustain this kind of production on a winning Mavericks team, that could do wonders for his reputation in the league and set him up well for free agency. But right now, I'm not sure if teams are you know, dying to acquire him, especially on an expiring contract. So for me, it makes more sense to not trade him. I know he was in the trade rumors and whatnot, but it just makes more sense to have his production on this team. Whatever you would trade him for, I don't... I, I don't I don't know what the NBA GM's conversations are like, but I couldn't imagine what kind of trade value you could even get for him for this just this season. And then after a playoff run, hopefully we're not just in the play-in tournament, um, we kind of see how Christian Wood impacts a playoff game, impacts our playoff roster, and go from there. Well, I, I think that will really be to answer the threat that's going on here. Um, about his value to other teams, I think that will really be the barometer. A lot of, a lot of scouting departments around the league are paying attention to the fact that Seawood is playing better and that the Mavs are winning along with him and in a lot of cases because of him. But a five-week stretch in the regular season does not a career make. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not really that he's been bad everywhere that he's been, but... Of the basic research I've done, Detroit and Houston, their fan bases, really do have this idea <laughs> that he is playing hero ball, that right. he does not, he's not a team player, he's not this, he's not that, which is why this is a step in the right direction. But he's he's going to just need to be like Dorian Finney-Smith, like just a dog doing whatever it is he can do. Some nights his shot just won't go. Some nights the matchup will just be horrible for him, especially in the playoffs. Because it's going to be way harder to get some of these shots. But you still have to rebound. You still have to defend. So, yeah, we'll see him in the playoffs. Uh, I think, unfortunately, this is a case where reputation really has kind of messed up any hope the Mavs have of trading him for a significant gain or anything close to what he looks like right now. Um, So I agree with you. But I, I don't think it should be that way in principle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To give you a straight answer, I do think that, you know, if we fast forward to the trade deadline and he's mostly been playing like this, you probably get, like, value back on him in terms of, like, a late first-round pick for sure. And then, you know, maybe maybe even as high as a mid-first-round pick, which would be a pretty decent return. But I think, you know, if you, wanted, if you really do want to trade Seawood, which I'm not saying you should do necessarily, but... If you want to do that, you could, you could wait. You could wait for better. So um, on that note, I do think that the report that the Mavs are open giving him a two-year extension is actually pretty interesting because, you know, um, there's probably some concern about whether it's justified or not to give him a four-year deal where you know perhaps he gets a little—I don't want to say lazy—but he obviously this is a contract year for him. He's going to be playing even better, even more locked in because he knows what's at stake here and that's natural. So, you know, over the course of a four-year deal, that that kind of, it happens a lot. It, it can, it, I don't think he's necessarily immune from like his effort waning a little bit throughout yeah. that hypothetical deal. So I wouldn't hold that against him, but that is a real concern, just like it is for, you know, basically any player. Um, so the two-year deal kind of shields against that because, you know, you only have one season where it's like, guaranteed money and then you 
then before you know it, you're back on a contract year. So there's that. Um, it's helpful to see Wood because it's only a two-year deal. So odds are he's going to be playing well throughout that deal. So when time comes to re-up again, um, he can get a whole lot more money because I'm sure the cap will have risen by then. Yeah. And then third, I think the most underrated aspect of this is that a two-year deal, that gives him three years for the Mavericks. So that's enough for his bird rights, mm. his full bird rights. So in theory, you know, he plays another two years with us after this season. He plays really well. Then he can the retire Ma- a Maverick. <laughs> yeah, basically. You can give him, I don't know, fucking four or five years and some crazy 30 million, 40 million, whatever plus deal. I'm assuming, like, at that point, you know, the Mavs are capped out and have better pieces around Luca as well, not just Seawood. So, you know, it doesn't really matter how much you pay him. So you pay whatever to make him stay. And then you have a contender or whatever. So, you know, that's. I see the vision there. It really is it's all a long about. Vision. <laughs> I mean, but there's also options. That, that's why it being sure. a two-year deal really, because he's 27 exactly. right now. Yeah, he'll be 29 when that deal is over. And in the worst-case scenario, if you lose him then for nothing, he's 30. You got two years of his prime, probably two years where he's playing the best winning basketball of his career, right? So and presumably like, you've improved your team. Yeah. By then too. And but, also, it's not like a huge buy-in for like yeah. a number that you're paying him per year. Because yeah. realistically, we shouldn't be talking about Christian Wood on a podcast about being the second best player on the team. Yeah. yeah. Well, to be fair, I don't think or any third. of us were discussing him as maybe the second or third best player on the I, team. I think we're all in so agreement that, right. that with the product that we have on the court. I think we're all in exactly. agreement that he he's a, he's a very talented player, but probably not someone you want as your second option. Um but yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense why the Mavericks aren't willing to go to four years. I mean, McMahon correctly stated that that they're rightly hesitant to want to offer someone with the kind of reputation he does um, four years, right? Because that's a pretty big commitment. Uh, but two years is a little bit more reasonable if you pay him whatever max uh, annual salary that he commands. Uh, like Fazo said, you know, you got him for one year and the year immediately following is a contract year. Whether or not he's favorable to those terms, like we said, we don't know. And it does seem like he and his uh, his camp, uh, there's still like a gap that exists between the Mavs and them. But we'll see if that um, if that changes as the season goes on. Because, I mean, you know, again, if he keeps playing like this, the Mavericks are going to have to think very hard about what they want to do. And perhaps that even means softening their stance on... Uh, you know, they're, they're the terms they're willing to offer him. But yeah. I think it's just great to see him finally come into his own with the Mavericks because uh, I think for most Mavs fans, we were really excited to see Christian Wood because of who he is as a player and his unique skill set. And also he just represents something so new uh, for this team. So um, hopefully when we get Dorian back and Josh Green back, it only you know, further enhances things and allows Christian Wood to continue playing to his strengths and the Mavs can, you know, sort of discover a new identity for the season. Agreed. Uh, definitely don't want to read too much in the Seawood uh, performances uh, of, over the last month. But, yeah, like Vanessa, said, not going to be your second or third guy, but he, he's going to be integral to, to building around Luka with guys that are on the timeline and have skill sets that will come in handy. Um, 
Maybe like Tim Hardaway Jr. was uh, during the bubble season. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all I had for this episode. Y'all got anything else? Uh, I do very quickly want to talk about the Jaden Hardy, Kemba Walker situation. Yeah. Like sure. What's happening with the point guard rotation? Mm. I. I think it's really a committee approach. I mean, you got Luca starting and Spencer next to him, and Spencer handles most of the bench. Uh, bench unit duties and then now with Kemba Walker you do have a little bit more flexibility and we've seen him have more of a role here Hardy I think is still some ways away from being a consistent contributor for the Mavs but um, we saw today in limited stretches when he's playing with a veteran guard like Kemba Walker there's he is somewhat productive but I think like I said he needs a little probably one more season of development before he can consistently step into the rotation yeah, agreed on Hardy. Uh, Kemba, <laughs> I, I can't really say it better than the GM of the Dallas Mavericks himself. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's he's had some flashes of, you know, when he has been able to play, it's always been fun to watch Kemba Walker play. Uh, don't know how long he's going to be a fit on the Mavs roster, but uh, definitely one of those guys that I will look back on fondly as like, oh, Kemba Walker was mad at one point. He's like Isaiah Thomas or Brandon Knight from last season. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like I would put him higher than maybe Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, Isaiah Thomas played like one game. I mean, yeah, I think Kemba has done what's been asked for him and has surpassed my expectations too. And uh, of course, like his contract does not become fully guaranteed until January 7th. So he's got about a week more uh, before the Mavs have to make a decision whether to keep him or um, cut ties at that point. But um, I think it does say something that he's been on the roster during probably the most positive stretch for them this season. And he's definitely given them something when he's played. So maybe they see some value both tangibly and intangibly with him and decide to keep him. Uh, but I think that's just something that we'll watch uh, in the background over the next Eight to nine days. Who knows? He might be the Mavs' newest assistant coach next season. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very maverick of them if they did that. Yeah, I don't really have much else to say on Kemba Walker's time with the Mavericks. <laughs> it kind of feels like we're already talking about him in a past tense, <laughs> past tense way. But um, like Jay said, he has played better than I ever thought he would. Um, I used to be a huge fan of Kemba Walker when he was at UConn, so it is kind of cool to see him play for my pro- Favorite professional basketball team. Nice. Yeah. And that's about it. That's all I have on Kemba Walker. Back in Royal Blue. No, I mean, I think Kemba Walker has a lot of fans across the league, and a lot of people are happy to see him uh, playing again and, and being somewhat productive and contributing to a winning team. And I think, go back to the Jaden Hardy point, I think, um, me included, sometimes we have high expectations for these young guys when they especially on the Mavericks because we're not used to seeing young talent on our team because we don't ever use our draft picks. But a guy like Jaden Hardy is going to take time even just to be a consistent rotation player. Like just the bar from going from G League to making an NBA rotation is is huge, is a huge hill to climb. So yeah. just have to be patient. It's going to be fun to watch him grow, I think. I think he's going to be a good player one day, but, you know, maybe not year one. Yeah. He has some essential skills like shot creating, but yeah. He's a little bit off. We saw that with Josh. It took him three years. 
Jin Hardy, I think, has enough volume under his belt already to wear a chase, right? It'll take him a year. Uh, I'm more curious what y'all think about McKinley Wright to close the episode off. I've been very impressed by him. Um, when he has the ball in his hands, there's like a sense of calmness that you don't see from young players. Um, and I think that's very impressive. And I think he's he can play. He's got a future in the league as a as a bench guard. Like I don't think he's ever going to become like a six-man-of-the-year type player, but... Um, his steadiness is going to serve him well. Yeah, definitely. He's definitely got some uh, poise to his game that you don't see very often in, you know, even in role players, bench players, and especially ones that young. And I've actually been rather impressed by his defense. Um, you know, even though he's, what, 5'11", 6 foot, yeah. he's done very well in terms of, like, knowing where to be on defense and putting a hand up to contest shots, you know. He's not going to get... A block every game or whatever nothing quite like that but um he does you know despite his size he does make things more difficult for whoever he's matched up against which it's it's pretty impressive he may not get a block a game but christian wood will get two so <laughs> <laughs> 1.9 to be precise <laughs> okay mr statistician efficiency volume here uh <laughs> I did appreciate your rant, by the way. I think it was necessary. <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's it, yeah. Actually, well, I, I do have one small, tiny thing. Is um, Before the Spurs-Knicks game kicked off tonight, um, in the pregame press conference, Greg Popovich very boldly declared that when the Mavs play the Spurs on New Year's Eve, that they will hold Luca to under 50 points. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bold prediction. Challenge accepted for Luca, I'm pretty sure. I simultaneously have faith in the Spurs and also have faith in Luca that he's going to hear that and then go into the film room <laughs> and just find a way to score 70. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the type of player Luca is. He's a he, gamer, man. Yeah. I can already see him saying you know, I heard Pop say that I couldn't score 50. <laughs> so. I mean, Kevin Durant said it best. <laughs> Luka Doncic is a creative player, bro. Yes. Well, I think uh, that's all we got for this episode here. Thanks, guys, for joining me on this. And it's been great doing this in person. Hopefully we can do it again sometime soon and this is probably our last episode for the 2022 calendar year so uh shout out to all our followers and listeners really do appreciate you for your support not only this year but in the previous two years and uh can't wait to see what we do here in 2023 and can't wait to integrate Vinay more into what we do and hopefully produce some more content so appreciate you all and we'll see you in 2023 happy new year Happy New Year. Happy New Year.